Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters To Go. Welcome to Satellite Sisters. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California. Very happy to be with you today on April 1st. Uh, Julie Dolan in Dallas, Texas. It's April Fool's Day, probably my <laughs> least favorite holiday. I hate April Fool's Day. I hate it. I, I don't have any jokes. I don't have any tricks. I don't like to be tricked. I don't like jokes. I don't like surprises. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy April Fool's Day. Well, happy April Fool's Day to you, too. I hope it's steady state there. No further rumblings, Leanne, listening to the last podcast. I know you're totally prepared for the, the upcoming big one, but I just wanted to make sure the earthquake report today was okay. Well, solid and steady here, but I just would like to say, it's not like I'm going to kill my dog, Mia. I'm just saying, if we're all trapped in a single room and food's yes. an issue, she's yeah. out. Okay. <laughs> I love her, but I love my children more. <laughs> so, okay. and, and mainly I'm not cleaning up after her in a small room. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yes. Well, again, if you cut down on the food, it's going to really... It really okay. will cut down on the mess. Yes. yes. I yes. understand. Okay. I okay. understand. All right. We have a rich full show. Uh, we are going to talk about Mr. Selfridge. Hold on your hats. Here's what we're calling it. Sister Selfridge. <laughs> Don't you love that? I love it, Liam. Thank you. Theme. I was busy working on that one all day. <laughs> also, we have we have a follow-up to our wildly popular celebration of International Waffle Day last week. I could not believe how many waffles people were making across the world for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So Julie has 10 events not to miss in April, sort of a spinoff of the holidays, follow-up on her spices. She mm -hmm. asked which spices you would take with you to a desert island. You responded. Uh, we have a Nana report and an update on a, a new uh, policy at college I wanted to ask Julie about. But first, Julie, it may be April Fool's Day, but it's also a very special day to Satellite Sisters. It's isn't it? Yes, Leanne, it is our anniversary, April 1st, 2000. And I checked with the Satellite Sister historian. That was Liz, that's Liz Dolan. I shot her an email very early this morning to verify this. But that is the day of um, the our broadcast date. Now, we were on the air on WNYC in New York prior to this, but that was our official launch date, April 1st, 2000. 14 years ago, Leanne, 14 years. <laughs> that's, that's unbelievable. It's unbelievable we're still speaking, never mind just doing the show. <laughs> yes, that's right. I mean, All five of us are still alive. That's right. We're here. We're, we're still talking, talking to each other. Yeah. Yes, that's... That, the that's show right. is like entirely incidental to that. <laughs> yes, of course it is, Leanne. Of course it is. I mean, people, you always wonder what's going to happen if you go into business with your family, your friends... But here we are, 14 years later. And in what closets. A you're going to wind up in a closet. 
<laughs> now, Leanne, I was trying to stay on the high, high okay. point this anniversary salute. I was not going to do a compare and contrast with, like, the deluxe studio, radio studios we used to be in versus the closet I'm currently in. But if you want to take us down into the drain, uh, we can go there, Leanne. You know what? The show is still the same. It's still is exactly the concept we cooked up, you know, 14 or 15 years ago. Uh, we're just a little bit better at doing it. <laughs> So. I, th- I think that's true, but the most, the biggest, the biggest change over the fourteen years is the satellite sisterhood, Leanne. Let's face it. Yes. You know, without you listening to our show, our podcasts, we would be nothing. Um, so, you know what, really, Julie? That's... I just I meant to mention this. Now that you say that, do you know we had our best download month yet in March twenty fourteen? We would like to thank you all for spreading the word about the sisters. It really, really means a lot to us. Isn't that amazing? It does. It, that is amazing. <laughs> yeah. It does mean a lot. I love, I love, we love reading every single comment on Facebook. They're great. It just lets us know, you know, it just, it really, it helps us to do the show, create the show, think of things that will be fun and entertaining. So we really, really appreciate everything. So happy anniversary. Thank you. You too, Joel. You too. Hey, how was the wedding? I know you were in Washington, D.C. this weekend for um, a, an old friend's daughter's wedding. How was that? that it, well, very nicely. And so, uh, first of all, I just referred to it as Leslie's wedding. Now, and, uh, you know, this is uh, one of my cl- oldest friends. I've known her since high school. We went to college together. And um, her daughter got married. Um, but I had another friend whose daughter got married earl- earlier this uh, this year, and that was Linda's wedding. And then, you know, they always refer to my son and daughter-in-law's wedding as Julie's wedding. I mean, I know that <laughs> there are some very nice brides and grooms at all of these events, but they mean nothing to us uh, friends. You know, we, we just refer to it. So this was Leslie's wedding, and it was in Washington, D.C., and they timed the wedding um, to uh, to coincide with the giant, you know, cherry blossom festival that you have every spring in Washington D.C. How beautiful a wedding during cherry blossom season! But Lee and you know this has been like the winter of all winters, particularly in Washington. So there was not a single cherry blossom out anywhere. Oh, that in fact that it is snowed. It's no, but but no, no problem, Lee. The wedding was all planned for inside, so it wasn't like they had some big scheme about they were going to do you know, wedding photos under the cherry blossoms. They didn't have any of that planned. So it did not ruin the, you know, any of their plans. And here's my whole report about this wedding. I have no report. Nobody, (laughs) nobody jumped in the Potomac. There were no inappropriate toasts, Leanne. There were no awkward dancing on the floors, dance floors. Nobody showed up in outrageous wedding attire. It was just a beautiful wedding, very nice bride and groom, lovely ceremony, and lovely wedding reception all all the way around. Oh, fantastic. So, That's isn't nice. Isn't that nice? Yes. That is nice? That is nice because Leslie, my friend, worked very hard on her wedding, her wedding, not her not her wedding. <laughs> and I'm very happy for her because uh, that's the way a wedding should go. But yes, there was no no drama. It was a no drama wedding or whatever drama was going on. Nobody picked up on it. And we would have picked up on it because that's the kind of people we are. Now, the only <laughs> other thing that I would say about this wedding that was really a highlight is my friend Leslie 
has five real sisters. Oh, that's right. I've always forget she, she has, has so many sisters. She has more sisters than we do, Leanne. Mm-hmm. And what was what was the core of this beautiful wedding were all six sisters were there with their children and husbands or boyfriends or whatever were all at the wedding. Oh, that's fantastic. Great. And Everyone made it. Everyone, Everyone showed made it. six sisters that they had six girls in the family. And uh, this was the first wedding. Uh, and so they all showed up. So oh, that's was it was the first like, big family wedding. Wonderful. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's exciting. So that was, that was good. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. So, uh, and DC was fine, wet, but fine. I went to the museum, Leanne. Have you, have you heard about this? This is the museum that's focused on news and newsmaking. Oh, I have heard of it. I haven't, news- I haven't been to DC in forever. Okay. Well, it's, it's a good place to go yeah. and I recommend it, you know, very popular. And the great thing is particularly on a very rainy, wet weekend, there's lots of, there's lots museums. of museums, museums, <laughs> free museums. Free. Now the only museum that's not free is a museum. It costs $24 for an adult to get into this museum. Why? So last time I was in Washington, I actually, I balked at it. I went to, I was planning to go to the museum and I saw the price and I said, you have got to be kidding. I am not going to pay that to go to the museum. Well, this time I paid it. And I'm really glad I did. I, I It exceeded my expectations, Leanne. It had some fantastic exhibits, including one of Pulitzer Prize winning photographs for, you know, four decades. Pictures, you know, pictures right. that uh, were, yeah. I, I mean, it's so moving and so, uh, so moving to see the, all of these Pulitzer Prize pictures, these photojournalists that captured moments in history that are just, they're in our memories. And there they all are. So that was worth it. They have the Unabomber cabin there, Leon. Think about that. They do? And they have a whole FBI news journalism thing about some of the biggest crime cases and solving crime cases um, uh, in the last 50 years. So. Hmm. That's pretty exciting, too. So many interesting things, well worth the price of the ticket, Liam. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that means something coming from you knowing you refused to pay it the first I time. I turned around the first time. It's like $24. I'm not paying that. So That's almost as much as the Wax Museum. Uh, okay. All right. Well, Julie, I saw a photo this weekend and I thought of you. It is not a Pulitzer Prize winning photo, but it should win some kind of prize. It's the newly released photo of Prince George. Did you see the royal family and their photo? That is a cute baby. What do you think, Leanne? Holy cow. Adorable. Adorable. Cute, cute, cute. Yes. Yes. And just the whole photo. Fantastic. Just so it almost looks casual, like uh, almost like why are they staring out a window? If you haven't seen it, it's the four of them in perfectly executed light blues and a cruise where the baby is absolutely adoringly gazing at Lupo, the dog. And of course, Kate looks magnificent and William looks as good as he's going to look. So it's an angle with a lot of hair for Will. So, um, and I always think of you when I see William because <laughs> aren't your sons the same age or just, I think of yes. your sons, you and Diana, I just think of you when I see uh, the royal family. So I know that you're going to want to rush home as the Nana and try to recreate this photo. <laughs> photo. So here, Nana, here's a few things you can do. 
All right. Okay. I got the have inside some behind the scene tips because of course it was not a casual picture. No, and it's, it's no. not easy to get a dog and a baby, uh, you know, organized in any kind of a photograph. Okay. Yes. Okay. First but of I have all, Kate, and I have a grand, I have, a, I have some grandsons, so yes. I'm good to go. Okay. Yeah. You're going to want to do this and, uh, you know, you can use your black dog, your black lab to fill in yes. for the, for Lupo. Um, okay. First of all, they did use the Royal photographer, Jason Bell. So you're right. It wasn't like someone happens to be walking past their house while they're all staring out that picture perfect window. That's fine. Uh, Kate's blouse is a $660 mm-hmm. Temperley London blouse. So if you want to get that for, for your daughter-in-law, $660. Okay. okay. Uh, if you, well, want- you know, that's going to be there's going to be a copy, Leon. There's going to be a copy of that at Target in no time. Okay. I just know it, Leon, because <laughs> it's a beautiful blouse. Okay. Did you see um, George's little personalized sweater? Did you see that? It's a light blue cashmere sweater with his name on it, Julie. Apparently, it's the Scottish sweater, Johnston's of Elgin, and it was reportedly a gift from Prince Charles. So. <laughs> You're going to want to secure one of those sweaters for baby Peter. Okay. <laughs> and okay. And cash, cashmere is so practical for babies. Leanne. <laughs> That's what I love about cashmere because you can't wash it. Yeah. And really the first time you dry clean, dry clean it, it all pills. So very practical idea for a baby. Yes. Okay. And then finally, if you're looking for where to take it, they did, that is actually the window of George's nursery of apartment 1A at Kensington Palace. So see if you can arrange that for your for your grandchildren's photo, okay? So get the oh sweater, gosh, get the blouse, and get the window from Kensington Palace. <laughs> Work on that. Okay, because then I wouldn't have to get the royal photographer. Well, no. Look, it's so, it's well, so- Trem, you know, your husband takes like 9 million photos. So I'm sure he could get one good one. <laughs> okay that's good get the kids in an itchy cashmere sweater yeah. okay that is going to be nice all right i will work on that well Leon, it's so interesting that you mentioned my role as nana because they had a big story in the wall street journal about about grandparents um and you know as more couples are delaying having children into until they're 30 or beyond there are there is now a generation of would-be grandparents that are feeling shortchanged. What I'm saying to you, Leanne, is the selfish baby boomers that we are, we want our grandchildren now. And you, you know, and the millennials are not delivering. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. <laughs> they are not delivering, Leanne. They that that people are postponing this. And this is just what I'm sure working women who read the Wall Street Journal want to read is that they don't have enough pressure in their lives, that now there's a whole group of people that are, you know, that are disappointed and pressuring them um, because they are not having children. They're just focusing on their careers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. While their parents are off taking those Viking cruises. <laughs> well, see, Leon, this is the soaked re- up all the retirement money from my generation. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, that is exactly what psychologists are suggesting 
to these would-be grandparents that feel shortchanged. They're saying you really have to find other outlets for your frustrations, that perhaps you should volunteer with other people's children. Maybe that will make you feel better. Or they said you should try to do everything on your bucket list before the grandchildren arrive so that when, so that when and if you get grandchildren, you'll be ready to go. So hence the Viking cruises, Leon. This is the time. If you don't have grandchildren, you should keep, according to this psychologist, you should just keep your mouth shut and get on the boat. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but there's, a, you know, but here's the thing. There's a, you know, baby boomers, we do not, you know, we don't take this laying down. <laughs> we, you know, that and a, a growing number of grandparents are actually helping with the cost of fertility treatments, which I think is a great thing that okay. I, you know, okay. So that. That just you... seems so weird to me, but <laughs> it just, yeah, it just seems odd. You would be discussing that with your parents. I don't but know. If, if you really want children and fertility treatments cost a lot of money and you don't have that, you don't, I understand. again, because you're working really hard and maybe, you, you know, you still have student loans to pay off because your parents didn't pay for tuition, but now they want, now they want um, grandchildren. See, it all adds up, Leanne. But, but, you know, here's the thing that they were suggesting that that would, that would be a good thing. It takes the pressure off. Perhaps you could, you know, you know, some grandparents are helping women freeze their eggs so that they don't, they don't have to worry about the biological clock. And that even if they, or they don't have to worry to find the right husband. And that way the child would be coming into, you know, a fam, a loving family with, you know, with a mother and with grandparents. Okay. Okay. And it seems like the same kind of parents that would have written their children's college essays. <laughs> like that, that is a straight line from that, I believe. But all right, if that's what's happening, I believe the Wall Street Journal. I'm okay, well, it, not going to judge. Me... People want to do what they want to do with their money. So there you go. All right. Well, here's what it is, Leanne. They're really identifying something that's happening. And and Alice Walt Waters, you know her. She's the chef and the author, and she owns Chez Panisse up there in right. the, uh, the Bay Area. Well, she found that when she turned 60, the urge for grandchildren really kicked in. She she describes it as her own grandparent fever that she got, that she just she was just bugging her daughter to start having grandchildren because because she wanted them. That was, you know, that it's, so it's, it's like that's, you know, that people, you get to a point in your life and you really want to have grandchildren. Now, um, the psychiatrists are, there, there's some different, differing of opinion, but many of them say that you should just go ahead and ask the couple, are you going to have children? Because maybe the answer is they don't plan to have children and then you could get it out of your system if you knew that. And then go on the Viking cruise. Right. And keep your mouth shut. <laughs> okay. right. But I, I don't know. It, to me, I never did that. I mean, uh, you know, uh, I just, it, I think it's a personal choice. I think the mere presence of grandparents creates the pressure of, like, right. you they're know lingering. they're hanging around because they want grandchildren. Right? Don't you think that? <laughs> yes. Or they're not moving. They're not, right. They're not going they're not moving to a retirement community because they want to be nearby should some grandchildren show up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Leanne. But again, this is something for working women that have all this pressure. They should also consider that for these, these 
you know, these grandparents that don't have grandchildren, they get into what uh, what some psychologists are calling an ugly duckling syndrome, that they can no longer re- relate to their peers because all of their peers have grandchildren. And that's all they want to talk about. And the peers are totally involved with the in the grandchildren's lives. They are going babysitting. They're taking them on vacations. They're going to soccer games. And if you are a grand or if you're a couple in the grandparent age and you don't have a grandchild, you're out. Yeah, you so. better take up golf because that's the <laughs> other thing you people talk about incessantly. <laughs> well, I I mean, I, I just think having children is a very personal choice and you never know what's going on in people's lives. So uh, I don't right. feel like couples need any more pressure for that. I, I agree with that, Lincoln. I agree with that, and I believe to this big profile of how it feels for for empty nesters who don't have grandchildren, and um, it, it's it's a shame. So, but it's it's but, almost a world's smallest violin situation for me. <laughs> I have to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but I do have friends that were not able to have children, so I'm sure that their their parents feel a tremendous loss. But I feel more sorry for my friends who could not have children. You know that I, you know that's yes. that's a you know that uh, you know that's something I am very considerate of. I never, you know, I consider the grandparents' feelings, but I, I think ultimately it's it's the the mother and the potential father that have the. I feel sorry for if that's what they wanted. Right. But in many cases, grandparents can really enrich the life of the grandchild and not, I'm not just in terms of financial (laughs) contributions. No, not just that. Not Not just just saying that to make yourself feel better. (laughs) No, no, I agree. No, it's very, very, I did not grow up with any grandparents. Zero. I didn't have any grandparents uh, uh, as the youngest. And I knew my grandfather till I was four. And that was it. I have very, that's it. I didn't know any of the other grandparents. So my children had a very different experience and I'm very glad for that. So right. no, it's they, a they wonderful relationship. A loving, they've had a loving relationship um, with their, you know, with their grandparents. And that's, that's a great experience. And that many grandparents, you know, this poll said 58% of the grandparents um, talk to their grandchildren at least once a week, which I think that's is really nice. Yeah. Very lovely. Yes. Very lovely. So, yes. uh, so, but I think the takeaway, you're right. Just back off the no pressure, yeah. take the cruise yeah. and stay out of their business. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Here's a, a, something I wanted to ask you about, Julie, because um, when you're not being a grandparent, one of your other careers was working in academia, working mm-hmm. in colleges. And so I saw this editorial in the LA Times yesterday. It was about, it's about something I was not aware of, something called trigger warning policies at certain universities. Uh, One has been proposed at the University of Santa Barbara. There are others in existence at different colleges across the country, like Oberlin College. And um, have have you heard of trigger warnings? I don't don't have any idea what that is. Like, if you take this course, you're surely going to flunk or um, what? what, what Well, trigger warnings have been used on various websites for a long time, Um, mainly feminist websites. If they were writing about like sexual assault or something, there would be a pop-up that would said, hey, we just want you to know this article contains like material revolving sexual assault. So it was a way to inform readers that if that's something they had gone through, they might not want to go any further to just inform their readers that something ahead might be troubling. So, uh, 
and apparently this has filtered into the college community now. Uh, it began at Oberlin um, in Ohio. It's a small liberal arts school there where they have such a sort of a comprehensive trigger policy that professors are required to um, write detailed information on the, cor- on the course syllabus that, you know, what may lie ahead in this particular book, it may contain strains of racism or violence or, you know, anti, you know, anti-Semitism and that um, any student in the class who may feel uncomfortable with that can opt out of reading that material and doing the work or opt out of class that day. And, uh, and then they, they also go so far as to say in some cases uh, they need to provide like backup counseling material if they're reading things and this is to read things like the great gatsby this is (laughs) so why you got a trigger warning because it's boring no good good no because it's it's a great book the great gatsby yes it's the grapes of wrath that's boring because my my sophomore in high school is reading that there should be a trigger warning there like this is just a downer but um (laughs) like the great gatsby has like violence and a car accident Yes. So it's one of those things, I think, where it was well-intended for students who have actually been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. That's kind of where the intention started. Okay. But it just reminds me of how, like, decisions are made in academics that aren't like the rest of the world. Like, what seems like, a, okay, well, maybe there are legitimately kids that are suffering from PTSD. Mm-hmm. It just feels like if, you know, they see that there's material on the syllabus that might cause trouble, they should go speak to the professor. But instead, it becomes like a writ in stone policy that we're going to kind of bubble wrap, you know, the color purple because we don't want you to live through the shock. But that's kind of the point of the color purple. <laughs> The color right. purple. It's it's, it's kind of yeah. right. Yeah. It's kind of the point of some of these great. We're like in King Lear. Wait, they kill him? You know, I mean, you just like like now. This is the same popular student population that's playing video games all day long and watching movies where they're they're constantly chopping people up and shooting people and killing people. That's now, an excellent not point. People. That's an yeah. excellent point. Right? Yeah. That, you know, right. They, it's sort of unfettered access to everything on the internet, but we have to trigger warn some of these great works of literature, you know, oh my gosh, don't read that Southern Gothic short story. It's, you know, yeah, he, she's in the bed with the dead guy. <laughs> Remember that one? Oh. That one. Remember oh. Carson McCullers? Or, uh, yeah. When she's like, he's, he's lying in bed with her. Or she's lying in bed with the corpse. I don't know. But that's the whole point. It's supposed to be shocking when you read it for the first time. So I just wondered what you thought about this. Because well, now I mean, UCSB is exploring this as a voluntary thing. just puts a lot of onus on professors. It puts a lot of onus. It also it, uh, uh, puts a lot of pressure on the professors, but it also, it seems like it's just ripe for any kind of abuse that, you know, mm-hmm. you could totally make up, you know, a very serious condition and just, oh, I don't want to read that. Or, you know, you could work your way through the syllabus without having to actually do any work, you know, or... um but I suppose it would help students choose courses uh, in a much more um, selective way if they had additional information. But I'm not sure that's how students choose courses. I no. I just try to 
get in with the schedule that where they don't have to get up at eight o'clock in the morning. That's <laughs> right. And that they don't have any classes on Friday. Uh, right. Uh, so uh, so that's how you try to put it together. I, I, I recall from my own undergraduate uh, days, but it, it does seem it does seem a little extreme. Leanne. Well, so, uh, uh, one of the psychologists had, uh, pointed out an article I read as a follow up that a lot of times if you actually do have PTSD, your trigger has nothing to do with the event. You know, oh, if you were in a car accident, your trigger may be seeing a McDonald's because that's what you not reading about a car accident in the Great Gatsby. So there's not even really a connection necessarily between the material and your response. But so, I just don't know how you could protect yourself, just as you said, when you think about the sort of unfettered media all around right. you to protect yourself from the same level of violence that you're going to find in The Great Gatsby. Right. And in fact, to be able to kind of discuss it in a sort of a you know welcoming, supportive environment might be the best way to address that. I'm not sure. I am, again, I am not a psychiatrist, but I just... I just don't know, given the external environment, how, how that would really work. I really don't, Leanne. Well, I read this and I thought about the fact that I was an RA in college. Yeah. <laughs> and I often think about that now. And I think... Like, and your unique skills, your good listening skills, yeah. you're so supportive. I just think, what a poor, poor idea that is to have 21-year-olds in charge of 20-year-olds. Like... You feel I, like you gave like some if, bad advice there along the way. I mean, despite your training, I know you had to do some training to be an RA. Yes, there was like one day of training on you know eating disorders, drug addiction, uh, psychological disorders, and general mayhem. I mean, that was it. So when I, when I think about like the college experience and the college environment and how they're like so overly cautious about other stuff, and yet then they put. 21-year-olds in charge of 20-year-olds. It just, it's unbelievable. Oh, that's my phone. So, but how did you do on your watch, Leanne? You did okay? I'm glad that you said it was your phone because I thought it was my phone. Okay, yeah. good. You know, to be honest, Julie, like I had some real things happen yeah. on that. Well, you know, I did have, uh, I had a couple of kids take bad drugs oh, and um, they, they finally told me when they had been like, Hold up in a room for 48 hours mm. and I had to go to the dean and let him know and one of the girls had to leave school she never recovered I did have another guy have a psychotic break and I remember him coming to our RA meeting and saying I think we might need some counseling for the women at school because tomorrow I'm going to stage a protest in the dining hall I'm just going to I don't know what he was protesting Julie but his plan was just to take all his clothes off and lay on a table in the dining hall Oh, and okay. I remember at the time thinking, I don't really think we're going to need any counseling for the women because I don't really think you should take your clothes off and, and lie on a, you know, uh, lie on a table in the dining hall. Like, I didn't know he was having a psychotic break, yeah. but that's yeah. what was, ha yeah. that's what was happening. And there were a couple of times when I was, uh, there was one woman I know was exposed to when she was walking home. Oh, so, and then I had to take her to the police station and we had to ID the guy. And mm -hmm. afterwards she was like, do you want to come in for a cup of tea? I was like, yeah, I can't, I gotta go. I mean, <laughs> 
That, that, me. that like, is sensitivity with a capital but S. I had to go. I had to write a paper. Like that is that's really that's wraparound care you were providing there. I know, but that's that's why I read something like this. I'm like, are you kidding me? There are more triggers happening in the dorm yes. than in the Great Gatsby. Yes. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. college. I know. Well, it is it is a very difficult place these days, and there's no doubt about it. It's very stressful. A lot of kids are going through a lot of things, and uh, um, I think I think colleges are just trying to cope as best they can. So there you have it. All right, but I'm glad you are out of the business of providing care on a college. <laughs> yes, that's all I can say. And I was one of the good ones. I'll have you say. Other people thought they were going to need to like treat the women for, you know, uh, seeing a naked man. And at least I had the good sense to go to the Dean and go, I don't think something's right with that kid. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know what you call it, but I think it's right. Okay. Well, Leon, it is the month of April and I found a great article at the BBC about 10 events in the month of April, not to miss. Oh, good. Just okay. My eye and thought, well, I know we've been talking about holidays, and we certainly had a wonderful waffle doggin, Leanne. Thanks to you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks to you. How was that savory cheese waffle doggin? It Thanks. was so good. I made a ham and cheese ham mm. and cheese waffle, and um, I picked out the recipe and I posted it, and then I read the recipe. It was the world's most complicated waffle recipe. <laughs> it involved like. <laughs> Beating the egg whites to soft peaks, which is not something I usually do in any recipe. Anything that involves beating egg whites, I think I'm out. But I did it, and it was a delicious, light, airy, cheesy, hammy, savory waffle. I can't even tell you. The family went nuts. They went nuts over the waffles. So I've got the waffle iron out. It's We're going to work waffles into a regular rotation. Totally worth it. Okay, Leanne. Well, okay, now it's the month of April. I want you I want you and your family to get your passports out because it is time to have some fun. I mean, of course, there are some big, big events coming up this month in April. We have Passover. How about doing that in Israel? That mm-hmm. could be a very that great place to have a Seder. How about that? You have the Good Friday Easter thing. You could go to many countries to celebrate that. So but mark that on your calendars. But also... What about Coachella, Leon? That seems like that's the music festival that seems right up your family's alley. Have you ever been to Coachella? I have not, but my son has and uh, Brooks has, and he is trying desperately to go this year. Um, but again, <laughs> he was going to go <laughs> again because they're in college. This is the kind of decisions they make. I said, are, how, are you getting Coachella together? He goes, yeah, it's fine. I just have to go pick up Chris beforehand and Coachella is in the desert about an hour and a half from us and Chris lives in Phoenix so <laughs> that that was the plan has, I was your, like, has your son taken a, a like a geography course yet <laughs> I know. no he knows it's a long way he knows it's a sticking point I was like you had to go pick up Chris at, at the University of Arizona yeah okay all right. So I don't know if okay. we're going to make it to Coachella this year. Okay. But Coachella's going on. Yeah. That seems like good. The other big music festival at the end of April, because Coachella starts in another couple of weeks, right. that is the New Orleans Jazz Festival. Now, you and I have been to this, Leon. It's a great event. It's the last weekend in April, first weekend in May. And it's all kinds of jazz music, all kinds of fantastic musicians, and great New Orleans food. Yeah. I tried to I, talk my husband into it this year. He rejected it as a 50th birthday celebration.
generation because it's Bruce Springsteen, Neil oh. Young, Vampire Weekend is there. A lot of good bands this year. You can't, can't, you, oh, oh, we're out. We're not going to that either. <laughs> okay, <laughs> keep going. Well, how, how about this? Okay, now you have to think big. You have to get the passport out for this. But this is a great time of year to, to go to the Songkran Water Festival in Thailand, Leon. Oh, you've home. done that. It's so much fun. This is the hottest time of year in Thailand, and they have a water festival. And essentially what it is, it's a city, think of a city of 10, 20 million people, and everybody has water balloons and water squirt guns, and all day long, no matter who you are or where you're going, you're getting bombed with water. That sounds awesome. It sounds awesome. You yeah. cannot believe it. You think, well, oh, they won't, they won't bomb me with water because I'm, I'm a like an American and I'm dressed up. Oh no, Eva, you're an even bigger target there. So fun, fun, fun with a water balloon. That's the Songkran Water Festival. So you want to be sure to go to that. Now here's one, Lee, and I just love the name of it. I know you will too. It's called the Conan's Dog. Okay, this is the King's Day in the Netherlands. So imagine yourself in Amsterdam last weekend. In April, okay, everybody's in orange uh, along those canals. They have boat parades and a lot of beer. How fun can Oh, that, that be? sounds fun. Everything That's, about that, the orange, the king, the beer, the canals, that all sounds fun. That sounds good. Okay, so that is a good one. But uh, on the last day of April in Germany, they have one that's called the Waller Purigsnack, which is Witch's Night. Do you want me to say that again, Liam? Ooh, I, I think it's Waller. Waller Purigsnack. Waller <laughs> Okay, could we have? I don't know. Anyway, that's Witch's Night in Germany. So they have sort of their Halloween oh. in April. So you could go to Germany and bring your witch's costume. I know you have one. <laughs> I have one. And good so one. just think of that. That's a lot of fun with a lot of beer. Now, they also have a nice festival in Japan. This one seems a little strange, and it's called the Kanamara Matsuri, which is, if you translate that, that's the festival of the Iron Phallus. Yes, indeed, Lee. <laughs> This is a penis festival. Wow. And if you're not sure what to wear to the Kanamari Matsuri, mm -hmm. that you get it. Everything in the shape of a penis. People <laughs> wear penis hats, penis dresses. Really? Penis coats. Yes, Leon. Okay. It started, it was sort of a fertility uh, uh, um, kind of festival. Really? But now it's, yeah, yeah. So that. <laughs> I was kidding. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's next week. So you really oh, got to better get going. Book your tickets for that because that seems good. And apparently April must be the month for phallus festivals, which is not easy to say <laughs> because you can also go to Nepal where they from the 10th of April to the 19th of April, they have some it's more of a chariot um, giant penis festival. <laughs> they Oh, oh, yeah. Oh. It's in the hills of Nepal. Um, okay. And they have a giant uh, penis that statue. That sounds more our speed. The statues in the chariot yeah. driving around. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to wear a costume for that. That sounds, yeah. My husband does not like costumes. Okay. Well, then that that's where you need to go. Stay out of that one, the Kanamara Matsuri one okay. in Japan. Okay. Well, that's a big month, Liam. Wow. There you go. Ten festivals, one month. So much fun. So little time. 
so many phalluses. Excellent. Good, good report, Julie. Okay. I don't even know where to start or stop with that. <laughs> it's amazing, Leon. It's amazing. All right, we're working. Nice... We're working our way towards uh, Sister Selfridge, but I know, Julie. Last week, you mentioned on the show in your stealth move that you could only take along five spices. So you challenged people to post their spices on the Facebook page, and um, I, I'm just surprised how many people enjoy thyme. I have to say, <laughs> why well, you, you you think you were you were well? A time is good, Leanne. I, I just, I was surprised. I was on my list. I, I really think maybe, you know, uh, maybe there's a little peer pressure there. I don't know, but time is good, Leanne. It's and, a... and ever since you've mentioned celery salt, I've been obsessed with it. <laughs> I can't, I haven't <laughs> thought of it in 20 years. And now it's just wonderful, Leanne, particularly <sighs> on salads. Okay. And if you happen to make some tuna fish or chicken salad, oh, you know, or on your chicken. <laughs> Okay. But there we had some great combinations. People are out there. They are shaking it up, Leanne, and it's not what you think. But uh, your one of your friends, Mary, happens to win. I mean, she wins. I mean, she had the most exotic five spices on there that I've ever heard of. You know, it's not just pepper. It's like Ceylon pepper, you know, <laughs> and everything was, you know, so exotic. So... She wins, I think, in terms of the most exotic uh, five spices. And then hats off to Lois, who admits that she's afraid of spices, okay? <laughs> she's just downright afraid. She didn't use any, ever. Well, Lois, I hope you're listening, and I hope you see that I'm, that that it's safe to use spices. You know, that Satellite Sisterhood girls, we're doing it. You know, we're we're shaking it on there. So go ahead. Yeah, I think celery salt is really the gateway spice. <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing dangerous or intimidating about celery salt. Yeah, we had a lot of people try to submit those combo spices like herbs de Provence. Oh. I, I told you I was gonna knock you out, and you're right, you're out, you know, but <laughs> you just wanted pure spices there. So that was good. Oh yeah, and the oregano. What your friend Mary had oregano, oh Greek oregano, not just oregano oregano but she wanted greek oregano well she does own a spice store all right that well, is I, you know one of oh, her well, then maybe i shouldn't have signaled her out Lisa. no well i i she is knowledgeable and uh she you know w uses exotic spices because it's her business but you know, she spent many years selling like high-end um stereo equipment like audio equipment so then a couple well, of years that's a natural career move yeah right no that's what i mean she has really had to learn about spices okay. i remember seeing her at a college reunion she said she bought a spice franchise i was like really i just i didn't know that was an option but yeah so she uh she is really really knowledgeable about spices but well, also, we should, uh, many people, speaking of spice franchise, mention Penzi's. Pen Penzi's Spices, Leon. I don't know if you order your spices from there. Lois, I think if there's a Penzi's store or if you want to go online, that's a safe place to start. You know, they have some wonderful spices. Do you ever get theirs, Leon? No, no. I, I actually don't. Uh, we have a lot of ethnic markets around here where the spices are cheap. So okay. much cheaper than the grocery store. But the store Marion's is a savory spice shop, which also mm -hmm. has like spices you can buy. But oh, that looks good. Penzi's. Oh, Penzi's yeah. is a very, that's a very solid place to get spices. Um, so I would recommend that. Okay. All right. <laughs> Lois, I've always been afraid of spices. <laughs> is sugar a spice? She wants to know. 
I think I think I think that's solid. You need you need some sugar, salt and pepper and sugar. That made the cut. That's with me in my teeny tiny kitchen. So yes, okay. Lois is right about that. All right. Um, just a couple of notes. We have posted a ton of shows this week. There was like an extra lab rats. If you're Jeez. wondering what's happening, we have an extra lab rats. I posted an interview with my friend Susan Catania, who's a singer songwriter. And it was just a really fun conversation about uh, her work as a country artist and as a teacher at Berkeley School of Music. So if you've noticed a lot of podcast lately that's why we're just posting away uh so you can check us out of course at stitcher or at itunes or listen to us at satellitesisters.com we'd like to thank you so much for spreading the word about the sisters as i said march our biggest download month ever and that's because of you so thank you very very much um all right this is a new feature here on satellite sisters uh downton gabby was such a hit there were requests for julie and i to watch and comment on Mr. Selfridge. There was just one hook. Uh, she and I had never watched the first season of Mr. Selfridge, but we decided if all the sisterhood loves it so much, we're going to go for it. We're going to watch uh, the season two debuted this Sunday night. So here's the debut episode of Sister Selfridge is what we're calling it. Spent a lot of time on these things. All right. Um, what'd you think, Leanne? Okay. Okay, first of all, I was so pleased to see that there were so many English people in the show. I was under the impression that it was just Jeremy Piven, you know? I I thought it was just Jeremy Piven. I didn't understand that it was a cast of dozens with wonderful British accents Mm -hmm. and those wonderful British storylines and haircuts and manners. So I was more than pleased to see that there were many, many British people in the show. (laughs) Excellent work. It was, it's unusual casting given that it's the story of a department store in London that they would choose British people. But yes, you're right. And it has a whole upstairs, downstairs yes. thing going on there, which is nice. I mean, I think we like that. I mean, that's, that's very interesting. Lots of different storylines going on. So, but you have to stay right off the bat because one thing that even the Satellite Sisters at the Facebook had, had sort of alerted me to before I watched it is, Jeremy Piven. Okay. Yes. So at any moment, I think he is going to bust out of his britches, Leon, and turn it back into Ari from the entourage. I Don't know. you think so? Yeah. I mean, I just kept waiting for him to say, Lloyd. I mean, I just, <laughs> I just, Harry, that the thing with Ari Gold was yes. that that was such a great character. Yes. He was, was so great as Ari. That yes. was Tony Soprano. Yes. You know, it was so individual and unique it was goodness knows the best part of entourage and you know he dominated that show in the last couple of seasons by far the most interesting well-written well-acted character so it is hard for me to make the leap that he is now sort of a kinder gentler Ari Gold and you know he seems to even though he's still a philanderer clearly and has children living in various countries who apparently have various accents. I don't really understand that. We're going to get to that in a second. Yes. Um, but there are so many almost Ari mannerisms that Jer- that Mr. Selfridge has. I was waiting for him to just bust out. I, I was yes. like with a string of ex- expletives, you know? Yes, or- for some reason, the British accents 
help them in the setting. But because he's an American accent, he just he does seem like he's a guy from 2014 dropped back into pre-World War One time. You know, he does. Just, I know. But, but it is he has and he has sort of beyond beyond that tension that I'm, when you're watching Jeremy Piven, you know, that he's going to turn into Ari at any time. Then there is his whole management style, you know, because he's supposed to be this showman, this great, you know, shopkeeper. You know, he has these big, big ideas, but he can, he has to stop touching the female employees. He's <laughs> constantly touching them, Leon. It's it really it's like I'm I'm I worry about that. That's your phone call, and you might I know I I am not that popular. It's only okay. two people call me: my friend Sally and the dentist to remind me about appointments. Okay, okay. So and obviously his store seems to be doing pretty well. We didn't see season one, as we keep <laughs> saying. It's the fifth year anniversary, so he has this family of employees. Okay. Again, he's touching too many of them. I don't like that. He does have a management style where he has those stand-up staff meetings. That seems super modern. I don't know why he's doing that, but that's what, that's what he does. Maybe that's how he does it. And everything seems like a good idea. Even tango dancing, remember when, <laughs> when that was suggested as part of some big promo promotion? Uh, that seemed like such a bad idea. But that's the British part. They're easily amused. You know, they like entertainment and they always have, you know, they always, all those shows, they're always taking picnics and going on theater parties and okay. having card games. You know, they, they like an amusement in the middle of their parties. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and then to have the employee, employee party at that bordello, that <laughs> seemed like an incredibly bad management idea. So just, uh. I don't know how he can be successful, but there he is touching all those employees, saying everything's good. But anyway, we carry on. So who else do you like in this show? Well, I just overall, the first episode, I just had the theme of impending sense of doom. Just yes. everything about it. Well, okay, now we know the war is coming. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just lived through World War One with Downton Abbey. I don't know <laughs> if I can live through it again. All those waiters at the Palm, they're goners. You know it. I mean, I know. you know I'm it. Really the cute waiters, they're gone. Like, yeah. it's just going to be tragic again. I don't know if I can do it. So there's that impending sense of doom. There is this Delphine that apparently, uh, you know, is Lady Chatterley. And she's got a book and a bordello. And now she is his Valley Girl wife's best friend. And oh, uh, oh, and she is uh, she is the bosom buddy is how I'm referring yeah. to her, Delphine. The bosom <laughs> yeah. buddy. Because, and you know like, she She's got, she's in it for herself. So yeah. that's an impending sense of doom. And then you have uh, the addition of Lord Loxley. Um, <laughs> now, isn't that the same name as the character in Robin Hood? Yeah. Wasn't he Lord yes. Loxley too? Yes. So this is the same strain of bad. This is, you know, the same bad family. Okay. Yes. That is now been. Well, it was Robin of Loxley. I mean, Robin Hood was a pretty good guy, but um, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And he was clearly, uh, he, there's not one likable thing about his character. He's not charming. That was an odd slicked back hairdo. Yes. Uh, he rubbed egg in his wife's face, which om I almost, I, it almost lost me right there. The TV show. Well, first of all, a soft boiled egg. There is nothing I hate more, really, than a soft boiled egg. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So that was bad. 
And then when he punched her, I mean, is this going to be another series where they're going to rely on like shocking, you know, violence towards women? Is that, is that what's going to go on here? I just impending sense of doom, whatever went on in the first season, we may never know because I I thought it was on Netflix and it's not, but apparently I can watch. It is not but on I think Netflix. it's better that we no, we agreed, Lee, and we're just plunging into season okay. two. Okay? okay. That if we try to go back and no, I, I just we have to move forward. It should stand alone. That this is a, a key test for this series that you should be able to jump in and become involved at any point. Right. Uh, and that's what we want for our listeners. Now I did the juxtaposition, Leanne, at, of the breakfast tray scene in Mr. Selfridge uh, versus Downton Abbey was qu- quite dramatic when you think about it. Yes. There she was, Lady May, just covered in egg yolk, a poor thing, uh, just nothing worse. And uh, versus the crowd over at Downton Abbey who seemed to just lollygag around in bed the whole time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You know, uh, there are a lot of similarities between the two shows, and I guess that's the British thing and the upstairs-downstairs thing and and that idea. Uh, But I have to say, I do enjoy the shopkeeping girls. I like them very much. All of them seem very interesting in their own. I was watching with the character uh, descriptions of PBS. I was watching with those open. So I know a little bit of their backstory, the, you know, designer who's back from Paris to do the oh, windows. Agnes. I love her. Yes. She's- Already a fave. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Is she not absolutely beautiful? I know. Actress? Yes. <gasps> oh gosh. And she went to Paris, but now, you know, and well, I mean, she obviously had something go on with Victor, who's yes. now in the palm court. But um, but then now she has to deal with that snotty head of fashion who is really trying to undermine her at every st- step of the go. So uh, that and will that be is something- the character that actor plays in every show. Correct. That is like that's that actor is in all those shows and all those roles. But that you can see they'll yeah, find just- a way to work together, and it's going to be tragic again when her young man from the Palm goes off to World War One, Like, we're just going to have to right. relive that tragedy all over again. I'm just not looking forward to that. I also like the uh, the head of beauty who stepped up and uh, and showed that reporter just who was who, and then did a spectacular tango, an impromptu yes. tango. With those pink tights, Leon. Yeah. That was, that was something. And then she... She put him in his place and she got that nice, those face creams and those soaps. Uh, that that was really good. No, I too love the perfume girls. I think they're going to go far. They have fabulous hairdos, Leanne. Those, yes. those hairdos are amazing. And so, and and the makeup that they have on is really amazing. So that that is well worth watching. We haven't really talked too much about Rose and she is just, <laughs> she seems, um, out of place. I mean, yeah. she's a very good actress and she is British, but yeah. she, she seems again, much like Jeremy Piven, like she was dropped in from like 1994. So, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, she's not even 2014. No, she's, she's just a little, I, I, so I am going to just let the Selfridges explain themselves over the next couple of weeks. Yes. I mean, it's pretty clear just from, you know, how she would, you know, that there's something rocky. They have a rocky marriage and she is throwing herself literally into the bosom of um, Delphine there. So, so I think something may come, something 
fairly racy may come of that relationship. So we'll have to we'll have to watch uh, that. She does strike me a little bit like Lady Mary, only um, of Downton Abbey, only slightly more awake uh, than than Lady Mary. So, but the other one that I in that family that I'm really watching now we don't know about the daughters that are in the school a school in America. I think probably other people know about these characters that <laughs> we don't. Right, we don't know. We can we're only judging what we're seeing. I love the son Gordon Selfridge. I think he has an incredible voice. Certainly. Um, He's, uh, seems, you know, a, a very mature voice for a 15 year old. But, um, I think that, um, I think that's going to be a great little theme or storyline, the generational theme, the labor movement, you know, what role he's going to play. And sadly he too will be killed off in world <laughs> war one. Yes. <laughs> yes. So if you're going forward, like we are, Leanne and I, with uh, Sister Selfridge, really focus on the girls because most of the men are going to be killed. Is that what you're saying? That's Leanne? what I think. I think. Yeah. 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 So. so, yeah. <laughs> so. But I, I think I, I like the costumes. They, the, the hats are okay. I mean, it's no Downton Abbey yet in terms of the fashion. Um, but the store looks beautiful. I love the scenes of the store. I mean, it really does. Sh- it becomes a character. It shimmers and gl- uh, uh, you know, and shines. Probably, you know, uh, probably it outshines uh, Downton Abbey itself. All right. Here's some posts from the Facebook page for many yeah. people who have been watching the whole thing. We did not talk about Henry Leclerc, you and I, or Henri Leclerc, or whatever his name is yeah, pronounced. We didn't know what he was. He I, was just smoking I'm, a bunch of cigarettes, right? right. I mean, yeah. I'm sure he was spectacular in season one as the artistic director and sort of, you know, romantic foil for Mrs. Selfridge. But all we saw was that. Um, but Anne, very happy that he's back. So Beckett, very happy that he's back. Many people very happy that he's back. Um, let's see. Uh, Carrie, she's out. She couldn't watch Jeremy Piven. She was out. Uh, okay, Sue is predicting that there's a murder sometime in the future. Ooh, okay. okay. And she, too, is glad to see Henri again. Uh, some dicey characters evolving this season. Sue agrees. Um, let's see. What else? Uh uh, Jennifer is excited to see what these devious characters, Lord Loxley and Delphine Day, do. And she predicts that one or both of them are going to swindle money from Selfridge for some sort oh. of poor business deal. Yeah, I agree. Something – Delphine is not on the up and up. She is not on the up and up. No, and, um And then uh, – okay, Luann also suspects there is a murder in the offing. And she's going <laughs> to – and she's going to put her money on the lady's maid, which I didn't even see one in the show. So good. Well, I'm yeah, keep Lady my... May had a maid that she looked. She oh, looked okay. Nice. But I think, I think from watching Downton Abbey, we're all now highly attuned to, you know, to the, you know, what, what maids do and don't do. So yes, yes, that's, uh, that's true. So. All right. Well, we will carry on with Sister Selfridge. Uh, as I said, I'm going to give the, the couple, the main couple. Um, a couple of weeks to grow on me, but um, the other people I'm on board with. I feel sorry for that guy having his fourth kid. He I was know. not in good shape. But don't <laughs> he worry. Was, he, he was having a rough night at the yeah. party there. Yes. He'll be killed. He, and we'll, but... we're one. So that'll be good. Come back half a man. That's good. <laughs> Please do. Please no, do. I'm just saying that's what happened in Downton Abbey. They all came back, you know, it was awful. It was, it was awful. I don't know if I can take it again, Jill. 
All right. If you have thoughts on uh, Mr. Selfridge, please let us know. You can always find us at the Facebook page. Thanks so much for sharing the sisters. We appreciate it. Oh, Julie, we have got to go. Uh, We have got to go. But um, just don't forget, call your satellite sister.